we often think we're communicating, but we're not. We're not giving it the mindfulness that needs to take place. Like we're not mindful of the other person's scenario. Where are they at? What are they doing? Are they in the middle of a deadline? Let's not take this time to communicate that with them. That's where we think we've communicated it. We could send, but we actually haven't communicated it. This is Brand Story, a podcast featuring in-depth conversations with leaders, marketers, and brand storytellers about their professional journey and the impact they're making on the world around them. Welcome to Brand Story. I'm your host, Steve Gilman, and my guest today is Karen Nicholas. Karen is a strategic communications professional who focuses on social media, internal, and employee communications. She has an extensive background working in media relations, editorial content creation, internal communications, and employee relations, and also works as a freelance writer. Karen is currently the communications manager for in social and digital engagement for Treehouse Foods. Welcome, Karen. Thanks for coming on the program. Thanks for having me. I'm delighted to be here. Yeah, it's going to be really fun to talk to you. I am such a big fan of all your content. Um, I love what you do online. So everyone listening, I hope, will immediately start following you on LinkedIn. Um, Your content is so positive, and you focus on something that I don't think a lot of people like focus on anymore. And I love how you'll put time into sort of getting us all to think about grammar and think about the words we choose. Think about how, what those words communicate. And I see people having a lot of fun with your content because it reminds us, wait a second, let's stop and think about what we're saying. Thank you. That's kind of you to say. I have to say it is a daily experiment, right? Like what resonates, what doesn't. And it, as a communicator, it's the most fun experiment. experiment. You can see what people engage with what they don't, what's interesting. I never in a million years thought people would be so interested in grammar. Um, It's not, you know, we think of it as being something we were taught in elementary school and then it's very dry and boring. And it's not though, there's a lot of fun use cases. There's a lot of quirky ways to talk about it. And I think there's also a thirst for knowledge. I don't think people want to be grammatically incorrect. I think they wanna know the rules but it's just kind of exhausting to look at it as a whole and think, I don't even know where to start. I'm not going to do it. And, you know, words, words carry meaning. Words make an impact. And so the more we know about them and the more comfortable we are with them, the better we use them. Yeah, I agree. And I think you make it so much fun for people online to, to learn and to grow with their vocabulary. And you make it non-threatening. And I see people really enjoying it and I enjoy it. Um, so we're going to get into some of your content in a few minutes. I want to ask you about a couple of your posts because I just love them. You really encourage good communication. And I think in this day and age of chat GPT and everything that's going on with AI, good communication and choosing your words carefully and knowing what they mean is becoming a little bit of a lost art. I do. Thank you for saying that. But I agree. And what's interesting is every place I've ever gone to work, the first thing people say to me is, oh, we're so bad at communication. Across the board, everywhere I work, that's like the first comment everyone makes to me. And I always think that's so interesting. And I do think there is a science and art to it. I had a coworker that I worked with years ago, and she was a very accomplished writer. She's a beautiful writer and so talented. And she used to say, I hate going to cocktail parties. And I was like, why? They're, you know, it's kind of a good time. She said, no, because I have to tell people what I do for a living. And so I say I'm a writer and inevitably someone will go, oh, I'm writing a book or I'm doing this. And she said, 
it's not that I'm not excited for them, but it immediately puts what I do in a very specific category and doesn't give it as much um, maybe prominence as I would like it. You know, there's an art to it. And so I think about that a lot. I think I think as a society, we have gotten used to talking at people instead of talking to people. And so it's easy to fall into that trap and say, oh, I hit send. I announced it. I communicated it. But as I always say, and I know so many of my coworkers are so sick of hearing this, just because you hit send doesn't mean it was communicated. Just because you announced it in a meeting doesn't mean that it was communicated. And so I think what we're seeing with a lot of the social media and the world we live in, we have things hitting us all day long from all over the place. And so it's more important now that more now than ever before to make sure you are doing it well. You're using science behind it. You're putting the effort in to make sure that the message is received and engaged with. And so therein lies the challenge, right? Effective communication is a true differentiator both internally and externally. And, you know, it comes down to speaking someone's emotional language. Choosing the right words is so important. Why do you think it's so neglected in internal communications? Because I know you work and you have worked extensively in internal communications. And that's one of the reasons I was so excited to talk to you. Because internal communications is almost always an afterthought in a lot of companies. Why do you think that is? I think because we have a project or a campaign we're launching or something, and we're so focused on reaching the finish stage, then we go, oh, oh, we got to communicate it. Oh, we got to share it. But instead of building it at the beginning, we, we don't bring it in until the end. I worked in the professional services industry, and I'm going to totally botch this example and any engineer that's listening is going to groan. Um, but a lot of the engineering, they've changed in how they deliver projects. You know, they used to put out a bid and someone would do the engineering, then they put out another bid and then someone would come and do the construction. And it changed to a design bid model or design build model where they work together from the beginning to the end. And I think that's the same with communication. It's often brought in at the end, but it should be at the beginning because a lot of times there's ideas and insight that will change the direction in which you go or when you deliver it or how you deliver it. And so I think it's just, there's so much focus on the delivery that we forget that we we actually need people to use it then, right? Like how many times have you heard someone say, oh, I spent hours building this website or whatever it is they were doing or this newsletter, getting it ready. And then I hit launch and no one bought a product. No one did anything because we focused so much on developing it. We forgot about the communication piece. I saw this really great post yesterday. Now I'm going to, I can't remember Mandy's last name, but she had a picture of a jar of peanut butter. And she said, when you're inside the jar, you can't read the label. And I thought that was so interesting. And I actually sent it to my coworkers today. And I said, you know, this relates to employee communications. When you're so deep in what your company is doing, you forget to step out and ask the people outside of the jar, what is their experience? And so a lot of times internal communications, that could be branch locations, that could be plants, that could be just anyone who's not right in the middle, the immediate core. And so we forget to step out and ask them what their experience is. We just assume we know it. And as we all know, assumption never does, it never gets us very far. When you're the subject matter expert or your administration or you're uh, leading a project, you have a curse of knowledge. And you don't realize that that a lot of the things that have become second nature to you about the project, about the business, about 
whatever, a new employee or someone who doesn't think about what you think about all day has no idea what you're talking about. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I always say as a communications person, whenever I interview or whenever I'm talking to a new client, my greatest asset that I bring to you is that I know nothing about your business. I know nothing about your inner workings because I can spot the holes and I'm now trained to see where there's disconnects. Whereas when I'm so in the weeds, right? When I'm in the weeds, I'm right in there elbow to elbow with everyone else. I, I can't see those. I have my blinders on. And so I think that's where a lot of times we get in trouble, right? We don't know that we don't have the perspective that we need. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, you, you do this and we do this for a living in a different way where we're doing marketing strategies and delivering marketing messages or we're working on brand with someone, one of our clients, is that it's translation services between the subject matter experts and the audience. And, you know, I, I, what you, something you said reminded me of like a really old adage you just don't hear anymore. You know, telling someone what you're going to tell them and then telling them that and then telling them what you told them. Like, why, why do we not hear that anymore? Because now we all, it, everything moves so fast, people just jump to the end. I've worked with a lot of internal teams on this. Like, you got to get them ready, tell them, and then follow up because you know, what is it, the stat? I always think this is such an interesting stat. Um, we receive, the average person receives 121 emails a day, but we only read 25% of those, right? So there's so much coming at us that we don't, even the best email organizer is going to be challenged to get through all that content, read it and engage with it, right? Because we've all opened that email and we see it 10 paragraphs and we're like, whoa, no, click. I'll read that later. But we never go back and read it, right? And so that person might have thought, I'm sharing everything they need to know in this snippet. Um, and that was it. That was the only time. So there was no first message, middle message, or end message. And I think I think there is an art to it and that there is a reason things that stick, they're the things that are repeated. I was um, helping my nephew study for a vocabulary test the other day. And... It reminded me of the importance of repetition and and taking things out of context and throwing them out again. And um, there was just there's value in repetition. There's so much value in repetition, and it gets it gets skipped because everyone is in such a hurry, or there are such demands on everyone's time, or there's too many deliverables, or too many things going on. But an overwhelmed audience doesn't take action, and an overwhelmed internal audience. That's why you get the disconnect between an external product launch and the internal audience knowing what the heck to do with it is that you have to, you at least at the very minimum have to do the three, three steps of teasing the message, delivering the message, reinforcing the message. If you skip those and you just send them a 14 paragraph email, people only recall very little out of a message. So you have to deliver it in chunks and pull them along and bring them along with you, and I, I feel like it's an emotional thing too. If you're not gonna get someone's attention and tell them a story, they're not going to engage with your message. You're absolutely right. There was a Stanford professor that did a study several years ago where she had business pitches. They were presented to a class, and then the class afterwards had to give feedback on the pitch. And so the pitches had everything from statistics to um, stories to just like a variety of content. And what she found is, Afterwards, people could recall 5% of the statistics, but 65% of the story. 
So any story that was shared, they were 65% more likely to retain that and remember it. And so that, to me, that informs how we communicate. If people are attaching and remembering and engaging with stories, why aren't you telling them stories? Why aren't we doing that internally? Why are we sending out a memo or a message that's just, you know, full of facts and figures? Tell me the story. Like there was this great example of, um, if you were doing an earnings report and the CEO got up and said, we met our numbers versus if he got up and said, okay, the product launch was a little nerve wracking and we hit some obstacles on the way, but the team pulled together and you know what? At the end, we delivered the product out and we met our numbers. People are going to remember that story. And so I guess that's the other point of communications. Are you communicating to communicate and share a message and have it retained and engaged? Or are you communicating just to check a box? And there's a big difference. And also the expectation, and especially in internal communications of, well, people are getting paid to be here. They should read what I send. You know, I'm the CEO. I'm sending this thing. You better read it. The problem with that point of view is that people are people and uh, people are an emotional being. And we, we, do, we don't retain information just because we're supposed to. So you have to bring people along. And the most effective leaders, if you think about the most effective national leaders or the most effective leaders you've had in your own organization, they're the ones that told you stories that you remembered. Well, what is it like in the book Made to Stick by the Heath Brothers? Hey, my favorite book. <laughs> I love that book. Mm -hmm. They highlight the different ones, different stories that stand the test of time. And not one of these had a marketing campaign behind them, right? Urban legends. They just live forever. Parables. You know, there's different types of stories. And, and those are the things that live and that keep getting passed on, which I think that that is, that's a testament to the power of story. It's a testament to engaging your audience and making something stick. And I think we as you said, are emotional beings. We are touched by stories. We are impacted by good and bad, and we share it. That's what we do. We share, I mean, TikTok, it's a bunch of stories being shared all over the place, and we love it. And so there's value in that. And I think, I guess maybe in that's what I try to bring to internal communications is reminding that we're all people. We're all, it doesn't matter what we do for a living. We are all consumers at the end of the day. We all consume content. And so the more engaging you can make your content, the more impactful, the more intentional you can do it, the better. Yeah, I agree with that. And it's so great to hear from someone in internal communications. And I, I would think that you were in great demand because that is a, uh, a missing ingredient in so many organizations is having someone that cares very deeply about telling employees the right stories. Organizations need employees to do certain things. They need them to exhibit certain behaviors. And the way that employees act and what they do ends up, it is your culture, and therefore it is your brand. And if, it, if these employees are customer facing, how you communicate with them is incredibly high stakes. And yet, it gets left to last. It does. And also you think of it, you know, when we talk about branding, we talk about, we always think about, oh, their logo or this or that, or the reputation. And what we forget about is you have an employee brand too. And that employee brand impacts your overall brand. You can only grow as your growth is only going to be so great if you aren't able to find the talent to support that growth. And so it's imperative that you pay attention to that internal element because Engineers, no other engineers. 
people know other people. So when they're up on LinkedIn and they just left a job and they're fierce or they've had a bad experience and put them on blast, a lot of people see that. And that impacts if you go up on Glassdoor. People look at Glassdoor all the time before they're making decisions on whether they should interview or hire, be hired by a company. And so I think a lot of times we neglect that internal piece of branding too. We think, oh, it's just external facing, but the internal impacts the external and it quickly becomes external. And don't think that your investors aren't looking at Glassdoor. Don't think that your investors are on LinkedIn. And so it really, I think that's another point to the importance of internal communication and making sure that you're doing what you can do to communicate with your employees, get their perspectives and make sure you're paying attention to them, right? It's absolutely key. I, I had an experience once years ago in a room where a CAO was talking about delivering a very important message and someone asked him, uh, I was there from an external perspective and someone asked them like, who are the major audiences? And he listed the board and investors and external audiences and didn't mention employees. And, you know, we, it was awkward. And someone said, shouldn't employees be the first people to get these messages? And, you know, and unfortunately that I wish that was rare, but it, it, it sometimes is more common than it should be, you know, and the, the tools and the techniques to get employees to understand what the why and what needs to happen and the motivation behind it and what the organization is trying to do comes down to how well you tell them stories. Absolutely. And it's, it's a lost art storytelling. I think it's, um, I will say that's one thing about being active on LinkedIn. It's made me more cognizant of how to tell stories and how good some people are at it. And TikTok has done the same. A lot of social media outlets have made me just appreciate the value of a good story and how it's told and learn different techniques to do it. I, I don't think people understand there's so many learning resources along those lines from a professional development. Um, I've learned a lot on LinkedIn. I, that's not certainly why I started posting there, but I the amount I've learned is particularly in telling a good story has been amazing. Yeah. I learn from what other people do constantly and then interacting with them. I learn from you. I learn from uh, like every guest I've had on this podcast, I learn from, and you know, I started this entirely because I like telling other people's stories, you know, way, way back when I worked in documentaries and I just love interviewing people and finding out more about them. And, you know, from our point of view, all actually good marketing is storytelling. So back to what you said about parables, and hero's journeys and all those techniques, that's good marketing. Like when you can bring someone along with a story and not just try to sell them something, that's when it actually works and lasts. That's when it resonates on a deeper level than just make this purchase. So it's so important and I love connecting it. You know, it's, I, I, it makes me crazy when it's not connected internally. So that's one of the reasons I was so excited to talk to you because I, I, from your content, I know how much you care about this stuff. So let's talk about a couple of, a little bit of your content because I just want to give people that are listening a flavor of the kind of things you do. So you recently had a post about the difference between systemic and systematic. And I loved that post because I, I think, I think everyone's afraid to look stupid, you know, but you just demystify word choice. And, you know, we've all used the wrong word. It's happened to every single one of us. So can you tell, can you talk, speak a little bit to the difference between systemic and systematic? Yes. So this one was fun. This was a connection sent this in and he asked me, and so I was going to respond to him in DM and I started looking it up and I realized I, I can't respond to this off the cuff. I don't, I don't know what I'm talking about. And so I think 
systemic. So many people commented. They said I didn't. I had to read the words several times before I even realized that I was. They were two different words, and so it is intimidating. Like it's hard to use a word, and we're all scared we're going to do it wrong. And and I know when I was early in my career, I was told to fake it till you make it. Don't ever let the client think that you don't know everything. And what a terrible, what a terrible message to send. And thank goodness age has gotten a hold of me. And um, and now I'm more than happy to question everything. So systemic talks about like your body, right? Um, so uh, your circulatory system is systemic. Um, a government agency, you know, different things that are huge systems. You might have... Like we all get those errors in our, um, like our iPhone or our Android or whatever. That's a huge system-wide mistake. So that's where you get the system. Um, but when you go to do something in a systematic fashion, it's like you're following a path, right? And I, the best example I saw was how-to instructions, right? Because that makes sense. It's, it's following a path. And so, so then I always have to think, okay, how am I going to keep these apart? Like, what's my trick for remember, remembering the difference of these? And so in my warped little brain, I decided that systematic, I was like, okay, manic, that makes me think of something like automatic or something that you do that is like machine oriented or something ridiculous like that. And so I somehow thought, okay, that's like a process. Like if you're building something, you follow a process. Okay, that's systematic. So I come up with really bad suggestions on how to remember them. And, um, you know, sometimes they work, sometimes they don't. As I mentioned, I was helping my nephew study for a vocabulary quiz and he couldn't remember a particular war, a word. And so I gave him a terrible uh, example like that. And he said, he's in middle school and he said, Karen, that is terrible. But then he called me two days later and he's like, I couldn't remember the word. And guess what? Your stupid trick worked. I was like, yeah, that's one of the ways. I think it's really fun, you know, in your content and some of the things you talk about are different ways to remember things. And I, I think it's really fun because you ask people to, you know, participate in coming up with words that that are, you know, right on the edge of their knowledge and then, you know, everyone learns what they mean. And the other kind of content you do, I wanted to call out something else. You talked about the three Bs of communication. Be brief, be brilliant, and be gone. So I hadn't really heard that a lot until I wrote this post. I was just looking stuff up and I stumbled upon this and I was I was a little annoyed that I somehow missed these, right? And I was was annoyed with myself. I'm like, how do I not know three beings? This is ridiculous. But I think there's so much value. Be brief. Keep it brief. People don't have all the time. And if you're not going to be brief, tell me a story. Engage me. Make me want to care, right? I have these sticky notes above my computer that say, make me care. Who cares? Um, compared to what? Says whom? At what cost? I mean, be brief, but make me care. Like, get to the point. Um, be brilliant. We, I admire clever people. I admire uh, brilliance, right? Like a good idea or a perspective I haven't thought of before. And so I think, I think we get so busy trying to be productive that we forget to um, be creative. And and then we get kind of scared out of it, right? Like if you're not in a psychologically safe work environment or if you've been kind of beat down at previous jobs, it's a little scary to put yourself out there. But um, 
I think that there's really a lot of fun in trying something new. And it doesn't mean you're quote unquote be brilliant, but it, it's just different, right? Give it a shot. Like give it, I mean, throw it in there. Try something new because we admire difference. I think it's a really inspirational way of saying try and be a little clever. Try to get people's attention, entertain them. Because, you know, you're trying to deliver a message, whether you're doing public speaking or you're communicating. And then the last one, be gone, that speaks to brevity. I mean, who wants the communication they get from their employer or anyone to be longer? Do we really want that? What is it? Mark Twain has a quote that he's something like, if you want me to give a two-hour speech, I'm ready right now. But if you want a five-minute speech, I'm going to need two weeks. And there's a couple other people that have said similar things. And I think there is so much brilliance in that statement because it takes skill to get something down to the bare minimum, right? There is, I mean, I think that's why marketing messages are so admirable or campaigns. It took a lot of renditions until you got to those words. And every word has to matter and it has to engage and make an impact and be memorable. And so there's value in being succinct. And there's also a study that has shown people that are more succinct and more concise are thought to be more intelligent. So I think a lot of times we fall into this trap of, oh, I just have to say more to sound smart, or I have to be verbose in order to make this more impactful, but wow, keep it soon fall. <laughs> and you had a quote that uh, I think went along with this post that was from Franklin Roosevelt and it said, be sincere, be brief and be seated, you know? And I just love that. I think that's a great message for everyone is just, if you can tell a story, tell it as quickly and in a short and memorable way as you can, that goes for marketing, that goes for communication, that goes for when you're trying to persuade anyone, you know, going on and on and on doesn't really get the job done. No, it doesn't. And a lot of people in my comments, some of them are been, have been TEDx speakers. Yeah. And so that was a couple of them chimed in and said, this is the model for TED, right? A TED talk isn't 40 minutes. A TED talk is 18 minutes. And so you need to get in there, make your points and get out. Oh, and by the way, entertain the audience. And so, I mean, I always think about, I've used this in a couple, in one room. I think I used it in one of my posts. You know, we remember that TED Talk, um, Bill Gates' TED Talk from several years ago. He was talking about malaria, and he was talking about how it's severely impacted the countries that don't have as much, don't have as many resources. And so he pulls out a jar filled with mosquitoes, opens it, and lets it into the air. And you can just hear the, the gasps in the audience. And it's the most tense-filled, awkward silence until he finally says, Oh, don't worry. These don't have malaria. But I don't remember anything else from his speech, but I remember that story and that activity. And so sometimes you don't have to do, but that was a well put together TED Talk. It was an impactful example of it doesn't have to be a lot to leave an impression. Yeah. And to go back to uh, Made to Stick by Dan and Chip Heath, that I think we'll just go ahead and put a link to on your landing page. Uh, you know, it's concrete, it's credible, and it's unexpected. And I have those up on my wall, along with one of the things that's on your wall, I have, why should anyone care? You know, because like you're trying to tell, and again, he told a story and that's a very simple story, but it was also visceral and it was emotional. And that's why it works. Something I've seen you talk about that I really love 
because you, I think you really care about people communicating clearly and trying to like actually see and reach each other. You have a quote that's actually on your profile. That's one of my favorite quotes and it's by George Bernard Shaw. And the quote is the single biggest problem in communication is the illusion that it has taken place. So can you speak to why that quote means so much to you? About, and love that quote. Um, you know, as I mentioned earlier, every time I join a new company, they say, oh, terrible at communication. But I often find in some of the ro those roles, when we try to push the envelope and really push on them to communicate more, they'll go, no, it's my way. I know what I'm doing. This is the boss way. You need help, but you don't want help. Right. And so I think that I count on this all the time. And I do this. I'm guilty of this. You know, I'll say something to my husband when he's watching a Royals, a Kansas City Royals game and something else is going on. He can't hear my message. He's distracted. And and the same will go. He'll say something to me while I'm cooking and doing a bunch of other things. And so I think we often think we're communicating, but we're not. We're not giving it the mindfulness that needs to take place. Like we're not mindful of the other person's scenario. Where are they at? What are they doing? And I often say that to people. I was just talking to someone the other day about this. It's how how can they receive this, right? Are they in the middle of a deadline? Let's not take this time to communicate that with them. That's the that's where we think we've communicated it. We could send, but we actually haven't communicated it. And we're in fact talking at the people, not talking to them. And so I think there is a misconception that we check a box, we hit send, we announce it, we do X, Y, and Z of our communications plan. It's done. It's communicated. But we never loop back and check on engagement. And I think that's where you figure out, did it work? Did it not? And um, one of my side gigs, it's kind of just one of the things I do is I'm a personal trainer on the side. And it's and the most fun thing to do as a communications professor professional, because I'll say something and my clients will stare blankly at me or all three will do something different. And I'll go, huh. Yeah, I did a terrible job on that. And so it's like instant feedback. And I think about that all the time when I'm communicating, um, like developing a message for the company or for someone, I think, okay, am I going to have three clients doing three different things? Like, is this, am I actually communicating this or am I thinking I communicated this? And I think, you know, that was not a short, be seated response to your question, but I think that there is, we are busy. We like to be productive. We like to check off lists. We like to mark things done. And communications, unfortunately, is usually the last on the list. And we just assume that communications has happened, but we don't go back and check. Yeah. And you know what's interesting about that? I thought of two things while you were explaining that. One is that what we don't do is listen. We think communication is telling or talking at someone. But without listening, like the example of, you know, you're trying to talk to your husband while he's watching a game, he's not receiving the message. And I, you know, people think, uh, unfortunately, that listening is something you just do with your ears. You know, you listen like in three dimensions. You can tell, you can look at body language, you can look at the person, you can have empathy for their situation. Like in the workplace, these people are in the middle of a huge deadline. Maybe we don't hit them with this right now. So I think that has a lot to do with it. listening and empathy. If you don't have those skills and you're trying to communicate, you can deliver a message, but you're probably not going to know or, you know, have any idea whether it was heard. Absolutely. And what if they always say, read the room, right? Yeah, right. Read, read the, the room. room. Read the room. <laughs> there was a study done by uh, 
I think it was the NSA. I put this, this was one of my posts. And they took 300 courses, um, different cases, and they knew the results of them, right? And so then they brought in these people to participate in a study. And the first group could only hear. They couldn't see anything. The second group, they could see, but they couldn't hear. The third group could see and hear. And the fourth group could see, hear, and they got the files that you know, accompanied it. And guess which group was able to determine um, if the people were speaking the truth or not the best? The last group, right? The ones that had all the information. And so the point of the study was the importance of, like you said, being able to hear, being able to see. There's there's a lot more communications than just simply written or just simply verbal. There's so much more that goes into it. It's something that's born into us, right? Like we we communicate. That's what we do in our lives. And so we just don't give it... We don't think of it much from a scientific perspective or a best practices. We just think, oh, everyone can communicate. It's what we do. Yeah, or we're not as intentional as we should be. And, you know, you brought up something really interesting there because you're talking about methods or vehicles of communication as well. You know, when you're trying to deliver a message, you know, I'm from a marketing and brand background, you don't just send a letter. You know, there are a million different ways to get the message out there. and There are a million different platforms. So you might have uh, an all audio message. You might have an animated message. You might have a video message. You might have a written message. But it's almost never just one. People's attention is fragmented. So you have to deliver it over time through multiple media, through multiple like vehicles on media and get it to people so that they see it more than once. Again, back to that repetition thing. So it's a complex thing to get people to actually hear you these days. It's complex. It is. It's not easy. It takes brilliance, right? Yeah. And And commitment. Being concise. Yeah. Yeah. It takes discipline and it takes repetition and all those things. You do another thing on your feed that I think is really cool. You talk about crutch words that people use. Just back to your sort of like focus on grammar. Can you just hit on a couple of high points of like the crutch words that people, because I think once you make people aware of it, it's just sometimes just a habit that people have. Like, I know, right? <laughs> like, I know. We all have our crutch words. Of course. And they, we are uncomfortable with pauses when we're talking. And so we fill in the gaps. And I, first of all, I should say, I am number one guiltiest of guilty on this front. Whether we're using the ums or the like or the right. So we all do that. And we do it in writing too. And we... We use really all the time. We use very, we use like, we use words that aren't necessary, but they're, they're our crutch words. They, they make us um, feel comfortable. And if you've ever used Grammarly or any of those types of programs, the minute you run your writing through that, they'll just ding them like crazy. And I will admit, I was not aware how often I use very and really and actually until I started using Grammarly as just a second set of eyes. And I was astounded, slightly embarrassed. Um, they're just everywhere. Until you start seeing them, you don't, you almost don't know they're there. I had the same experience um, just editing, you know, my own writing because I wasn't used to writing and started writing more on LinkedIn. And as I would go through, I'd be like, why, why do I keep putting that word in front? If I, do I think if I modify, it's going to make it more meaningful. Why don't I just say it? You know, it's just a, it's a habit. It's like a tick almost. It is. It's a tick. And, you know, I did that post in July. I did a post about the crutch word. And it was really a popular post. It was really fun in the comments section. And since doing that, I'm 
all the more aware of my crutch words and what I use. And I love Anne Hanley. She is a marketer, writer. She has books out. She's fantastic. And she, you know, one of her early chapters in her book, she talked about, we love to put dependent clauses before. So although, or like we, we bury the lead, right? That if you were to use jargon terms, we bury the lead. So instead of saying exactly what we want to say from the beginning, we bury it. And that kind of goes back to even just the communications we're talking about from email and internal. You know, I had one person comment a couple of weeks ago. He said, I always look at every email and think, if I only had one sentence to say this, what would I say? Or if I only had this many characters to say it, how would I say it? And once you start thinking of that from a thematic perspective, you start realizing, oh, I'm, I'm using words that I don't need. I put a post up today that had a, a poll it was about Gen Z and how they react to emoticons and different punctuation. And I was, I had too many words and I kept saying, you have too many characters, cut it down, cut it down, cut it down. And I thought, I don't know how to do this, but it was such a good exercise in editing. And I had some of those crutch words in there. So I just stopped them out and popped it up. But we have our crutch words, we use them. I think knowledge is power, right? It's fun to run it through Grammarly or any of those type of apps just to see what are your crutch words so that you're a little bit more aware of them. Yeah, and I think once you're aware of them, it gives you a lot of power to start seeing it. Absolutely. Your post reminded me of it. It was one of my favorite posts of yours. And uh, also just, you know, I've, I even when I know it, I fall back into the habit. So it's just one of those things it's great to remind yourself of. You're doing an awful lot on LinkedIn. I know you've got a lot going on. What would you call this chapter of your life right now? I call it um, stage two. This is what I call it, stage two. You know, stage one was early in my career and it was chasing a fictitious title or a position or a role or what I was supposed to have, right? Like what you thought you were going to be at what age. And I, when I was in my mid thirties, I had my son and I pulled back and I stayed home with him and did some freelancing. And then I, I was a personal trainer, had my own business, which is still, I just did different stuff. And then I eased back into the working world and did some consulting and different things like that. And as I came back in, I decided I want to do this for fun. This is, if this is taking me away from my family, is that if this is taking me away from blah, 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 or if this is what I have to do all day long, it needs to be enriching. It needs to be fun. It needs to make a difference. Um, I'm in control of that. And so that's what this is. This is stage two. You know, each year I come up with a word for the year because I got tired of like missing my resolutions, right? Like January would come and go and I'd be annoyed with myself. And so last year's word was courage. And so I tried to step. So LinkedIn was part of that. I just stepped out of my comfort zone and put myself out there and, um, this year is improved, so I'm just trying to improve upon things. But it's really just a season of fun. It's supposed to be enjoyable. It's supposed to be something I'm proud of, right? Um, I think someone, Jenna Irving, had a post this week about talking about, I haven't hit any of these milestones, but I've had these experiences in my life. And I told her about this book I'd read when I was younger, and it was called The Dash, right? On your tombstone. Just see that? I used I used a crutch word. I said, right. So I just cut myself. Um, anyway, on a tombstone, you know, you have the date you were born, a dash, and the date you died, and your life is the dash. So I want my dash to be good. I want my dash to be rich and fulfilling. Certainly your your uh, passion for what you do comes through 
very clearly in your content and everything you put out. So, so your courage that uh, I love the the word for the year. I think I might start doing that. I think that might be more powerful than a resolution in a lot of ways. So I just think that's so cool. And I think you know you wanting to enjoy what you do and make a difference is really inspiring because your your content has a feeling. It has a through line, and you tell stories, and it's very enjoyable. So please keep it up. I'm not going to be able to leave my office. My head's going to be so big. <laughs> Can I have you stop by every day, Steve? Because this is great. Sure, absolutely. <laughs> we'll just like call you and give you a pep talk. So what's next for you? We got any cool projects coming up or things you're going to do online? Or what do you got going on? You know, it was exciting. The end of the year, everyone was making these big audacious goals for the year. And so I jumped on with, you know, enthusiasm and completely overcommitted myself, crashed and burned and like just... <laughs> did nothing in January. Like it just yeah. all went up in flames. So we're, we're reassessing now, but I do have a couple projects. I'm, and I, I want to see them come to fruition. The LinkedIn has been really fun and gratifying. And so I'm actually in the process of updating my, one of my websites and I'm going to start a newsletter about this kind of stuff. Because what I've learned about LinkedIn is I love the people I connect with, but a lot of times people are there when they're looking for a job. And as soon as they find that job, they're not there anymore or not at the frequency. And so I'm hoping to create a newsletter, just keep in contact with them. And furthermore, I might even turn it into a um, a class that you could just do a quick grammar one-on-one crash, 101 crash course if you just want a refresh. So just something that you could take through Teachable or something. So that's one goal and who knows? You should absolutely do that. Those are, those are great goals. We'll see. And then the other is a bit an ongoing. As I mentioned, I'm a personal trainer and I... I don't do it as much as I used to, but I do have a passion for wellness and just meeting people where they're at and knowing that we all have good and bad days. And oh my gosh, we all get look great for that reunion. And then something awful happens and we've gained 30 pounds and life resumes. And that's just, that's life, right? It's up and down. And so I've worked with a lot of people that just don't know how to strength train. And it's really important as we age, we really need to keep the strength of our bodies intact and our flexibility, right? You need to be able to lift that suitcase overhead into the airplane, right? We need functional fitness. And so I have a teachable course that I'm designing for that too, that I'm hoping to do and, you know, just put it out in the world and hope that I don't leave communication as the last thing and forget to do that. Yeah. Well, you're, you're a natural educator and a great communicator. So I think, you know, you can, I'll sign up first for your, your newsletter. I think it would add a lot of value to the world. And I think that's one of the reasons people love following you because you're always teaching, you're always bringing knowledge and it's in a very positive way. So I'd say just keep it up. You're doing great. So the last question I have for you, if you could go back and give your younger self some advice, what would you tell yourself? Ask the question. Don't worry about looking stupid. Ask the question. Just stay in there and say, and what? And what else? And what else? And what? And what? Don't, that would be what I'd go back. I loved Adam Grant's book, Rethink. It was, it was just a really impactful book when I read it, just encouraging us to go back and think about things again. And I think early in my career, as I mentioned, I was told to fake it till you make it and pretend like you know everything, which was the worst advice, right? We, there's, we admire the person in the room that has the courage to raise the hand and ask the hard question that everyone else is thinking, but scared to ask. And so I would go back and tell myself, just ask it. Just, you know, put on your, you know, pull up your boots, ask the question. It's okay. Someone else is thinking it. And I think 
that's, I didn't do it enough early enough. I have the questions in my head and I didn't ask them, you know, when someone was sharing a, a solution, I should have said, but is that the best? Have we thought about this? Have we thought about that? And I just didn't ask those questions. And so I think that would, there is liberation in asking questions. And I think I just wasn't at a stage in my, at my career. And maybe it's the evolution, right? Like maybe I couldn't have then, but if I could go back, that's what I tell myself. Well, that's really inspirational and a great message for anyone to, you know, hear and a great place for us to end today. Um, this was so much fun. Thank you for coming on. It was a great conversation and I think it's going to have a lot of value for people listening to it. And I had a blast talking with you. Thank you for having me. I mean, this is a blast. I want to do this every Friday. <laughs> want to hear more inspiring stories? Subscribe on your preferred podcast app so you don't miss an episode. And if you like what we're doing, please rate, review, and share. It's the best way to support us. Thank you for listening to Brand Story. Thank you.